You're listening to Energy 360 from the Energy and National Security Program at CSIS. I'm Sarah Ladislaw, your host for this week and Senior Vice President and Director of the Energy Program. Oil prices are once again in the news as global producers and consumers brace for the potential impact of U.S. sanctions against Iran to kick into effect on November 4th. These sanctions will undoubtedly have an important impact on prices, but they're most definitely not the only source of uncertainty or key item to watch when thinking about the near and medium term outlook for oil markets. Here to discuss this with me today, we have Megan Gordon, a senior reporter at S&P Global Platts, and Jamie Webster, a senior director at uh, the Center for Energy Impact at the Boston Consulting Group. Welcome to you both. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Uh, Megan, let's start with you. What do you think the consensus position is from analysts and forecasters that you're talking to about where oil prices are headed in this quarter? Uh, And how does that sort of differ from what they're seeing maybe into the beginning of next year? Sure. So the concern for the fourth quarter is whether there will be a supply crunch. Um, And the big focus is obviously the Iran sanctions, which snap back in two weeks. And there's still some disagreement about just how much oil will will be taken off the market as a result of those. Um, at Platts Analytics um, is expecting a drop of one point, about 1.7 million barrels per day compared with May levels. Um, and then you also have uncertainty created by um, these, you know, ghost ships that are out there um, moving oil. <laughs> Just in time for Halloween. Right? Exactly. Um, it's very seasonal. Um, moving oil, turning off their transponders, and the destination is unknown. So we're, tr- you know, tracking that very closely and, and trying to... F- figure out what that means for Iranian exports. Um, so that's a big one. We've got OPEC meeting, as you mentioned, in December, um, playing out what they kind of hammering out what they started in June, but um, remains to be seen. Um, the U.S. is um, obviously producing more these days, but is still constrained in the Permian. And the reason, you know, we're still looking at tightness is with um, these constraints, you're not going to let up until the middle of next year. So those are a few of the factors. There's many more, but um, the bottom line is is that um, fourth quarter is all about you know how much tightness there is going to be, and then next year concerns about demand. Mm-hmm. Jamie, do you agree that that's sort of the consensus that you're hearing? You talk to lots of different folks from your position, uh, and is is that does your view match that? Uh, so I would say definitely the fourth quarter and trying to understand where where are we going to get enough supply, particularly with the Iranian barrels coming off, and obviously also agree with this wide, still wide range of views on how effective these sanctions are going to be. The 1.7 million barrels a day that you said is is uh, high, uh, quite quite high. But also, I, I tend to trust uh, Plat Analytics. I do some they do some great work, um, and I've also been for quite some time on the high side on things. There is this discussion about ghost ships and all of that, and to me. Uh, that is an interesting thing for the here and now. But of course, you can you can hide the ghost ships. But when the oil shows up at these countries, that will get recorded and we will get a better sense of where that's at. Um, and it makes perfect sense for Iran to have that sort of policy right now to try to maximize the revenues that they can get by being able to show that, oh, it's already having an impact. So the prices should go up so we can get um, uh, a bit more. So I would say that's definitely the issue. But, uh, you know, you also have to deal with these other issues. We've got Venezuela crude that is still coming down. It looks like it's just going to it's on a one way trip. Um, so you've got a lot of these things and you still have, you know, uh, global uh, global economic growth and demand growth still still quite strong. Uh, the IEA has just recently revised down slightly, but it's still, I think, what, 1.2 million barrels a day for this year and 1.3 for next year. So still pretty, pretty uh, pretty strong growth for um, 
next year, and I, I am encouraged uh, as, a, as an oil market analyst, I always tease uh, my federal analysts that uh, our consensus price forecast is usually within $5 or whatever today's price is. <laughs> um, and so I'm pleased that it's actually that's not the case right now, that there's actually a wide divergence of views, which I think helps with uh, both reflects the reality of what's going on, but also helps to have better conversations about what is really going on. Um, for me, under looking at shale next year is going to be a, a big, big deal. Um, I am encouraged that a few of the companies have actually been able to uh, take their pipeline projects and actually move them to the left uh, and actually maybe bring them on a little bit faster, which is very unusual for pretty much any any energy project is to actually move it uh, move it to the left. So that will help some things. Uh, but I think uh, I've I've talked in the past about that there are a lot of other constraints within the Permian beyond just uh, pipelines. So this is not going to solve the issue. The DUCs, the massive DUCs that we see there, are not suddenly going to go back in line with kind of the sort of levels that you would have have expected without that. Um, so I don't see a you know a gigantic bow wave of of uh, production growth. Uh, you're still going to see pretty pretty amazing growth uh, out of the U.S. Uh, and then I think increasingly that focus on how long can this great economic uh, weather last and the fact that we still, as a global economy and most of the central banks, don't have the shock absorbers to be able to handle this the next time it goes around. And, you know, just how bad is this going to end up being? When is it going to happen? And what does that actually what does that actually mean uh, in terms of uh, in terms of oil demand growth? I want to get back to that longer-term demand story because I do think we, as, a, a, as sort of an analytical community, have a tendency to go to the shiny things, which are usually the supply factors and not necessarily as much the the demand factors, which matter just you know disproportionately more over the long run. The thing I want to look at right now is so this fourth quarter outlook is you know it's particularly uncertain because of Iran. I, I think that's probably you know generally consensus position is that this large increment and the questionable like amount that's going to come off because of the U.S. reimposition of sanctions on Iran is sort of a near term and acute factor. It conveniently you know has a date to it, which is you know nice for you know, all market analysts to have something that's certain. If that didn't exist, if that was sort of outside of the picture, what do you think the oil market would look like today? I mean, because we do have other pieces of uncertainty. You know, you do have the supply constraints coming out of the Permian, as you said. Venezuela, which, you know, uh, seems to be sort of, you know, people sort of throwing out this million barrels a day number. But it seems to just be a number that kind of comes out of, you know, everybody's just sort of coalescing around this number. We really don't know. Like, could there actually be much more downside in Venezuela than there is? So if you take the Iran piece off the table for one second, I'll go back to it. What? What would the oil market look like and what are the other key things that could intervene in this fourth quarter? So I would say that if you didn't have Iran, so if, if everything had been fine and the U.S. had not decided to put in these snapback sanctions, obviously prices would be lower than they are right now. But I don't think a whole lot, a whole lot less. The other thing is that you actually probably that would have had a beneficial impact in terms of in terms of the economy. And one of the one of the the risk factors is because the higher oil prices are happening, we're you know we have greater greater warning signs in terms of what the uh, economic growth might be um, that next year. So I would say definitely lower, uh, but then lower that would also put uh, less pressure on you know on the Permian to try to get these things. Maybe those projects wouldn't have moved to to the left uh, quite as quickly. So. You know, the, the the picture would be different. Uh, what I would say is that prices would be slightly lower and we would have a little, you know, a little more cohesiveness on where the consensus is versus this very wide range because there is still such a wide range on 
how much you know what is what is uh, how much is Iran going to actually come off the table? And the other question, which we're still wrestling with because we're just all focused on early November, which is how long is this going to last, and what's the what's the end what's the end game? Mm-hmm. So, what are your key factors? I know I'm not asking uh, the the unknowable question, which is you know what is the the end game on Iran ultimately, but. What do you think we're going to get to November, you know, fourth, which is not very far away from now? What do What do you think we're going to get to in terms of both the the amount of oil that's off the market, the administration's new position on waivers? What are you hearing as people's assumptions on that? So the uh, big question right now is India. Um, are there any kind? Is there any kind of relief that's going to be granted? Um, obviously, the administration doesn't want to use the word waiver, but those talks are continuing and. Um, the Indians, at least, have shown confidence that they're going to keep buying Iranian oil. Um, the Indian oil minister um, announced a couple of weeks ago that two companies are have already signed those deals and th- that oil will keep flowing. Um, so that's definitely turning up the temperature of those talks. Um, and, and yet you have countries like South Korea, Japan, continuing to press for relief. And they've already demonstrated they can cut. So why would the administration grant them waivers if they're trying to turn up the pressure on Iran. And then another big one is obviously Turkey. And Secretary of State Pompeo was in Turkey last week and made some interesting comments, I thought, because um, the line has has remained, you know, we're, we're trying to cut to zero. But in relation to these talks, he said, um, we're working with the Turks to make sure that we get to the right place. They buy Iranian crude oil. We'd like them to buy less. So that's a change, um, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there could be some relief given how that all shakes out. Mm-hmm. We'll see in a couple of weeks. Jamie Bradley, same place. Yeah, I think there there is definitely seem to be a bit of softening. My thought is uh, just from a political standpoint, they are unlikely to issue waivers. They'll they'll come up with some other term, a slight delay, something like Benign that. Benign neglect. Of yeah, you know, just we forgot to file the paperwork, something like that, where you know it, it is allowed to go. And I think. Part of it, you can't you can't ignore that this is also trying to keep things you know fairly you know unheated at least till we get to the midterms um, and get that uh, and get that through. But I think um, you know so if they start to allow waiver non waivers, um, then I think they're probably going to be fairly short lived. Um, there's uh, and, and it all goes back to what is the end game um, uh, for the Trump administration? Is is this something where they really want to put the hurt on Iran, or they just want to get them back? Um, back to the table. Yeah. And so um, you brought up the other uh, relevant November date, which is November 7th, which is midterm elections. There's a lot of speculation that um, particularly with all of the uncertainty and the range of estimates of what will come off the market, how the market is reading, um, even OPEC supply decisions uh, in, in relative to you know their their deci- the decision to put more oil on the market versus spare capacity, you know, how the market you know reads all of that. What is um, what do you think a trigger would be for something like a strategic petroleum release or some other efforts, you know, from the U.S. side to moderate prices before an election? I know that seems like a very, you know, abjectly political question, but it is certainly in line with you know speculation that you're hearing um, these days uh, uh, from from market watchers. What would you think the trigger would be? Is it a price threshold? Is it an incident? Do they need the veneer of supply disruption, uh, or would you know, high prices in the face of us trying to accomplish a, a foreign policy objective in Iran be enough? Well, the Secretary of Energy, uh, Rick Perry, has definitely said, you know, 
this is not just not fall under the category of a supply disruption. However, it's still being considered. So what was the purpose of him saying that? Maybe to show that the White House is actually making this decision. Um, it can still very much be done. Um, and and you're right. It's it's a matter of how to how is it framed? Um, you know, there could be some other disruption that comes up. Um, you know, as we as we mentioned, there's Libya out there, Venezuela, all kinds of um, potential for supply disruptions, and um, and you frame it in that way, and and it still has a similar result. Jimmy, what, I mean, do you have any idea what the trigger would be, and would it matter? Uh, I think you know, you know, you're getting closer and closer to where it it wouldn't matter, in that where the time is moving. It's like if you were going to do this move, it seems like you would have done this. Um, a while ago. So at this point, I'm thinking it's probably going to, you know, we're probably going to uh, wait and see what that, I, to be honest with you, I've, I'm a little puzzled that it hasn't been mm-hmm. pulled all, already. And there are plenty of, uh, as Megan says, there were plenty of frame, plenty of things you could have hung this on. Uh, Venezuela, Iran, uh, you know, Libya is still, is still looking uh, uh, thready. So uh, there was a lot of issues that you could still uh, still bring that down, and it and it wasn't, and it's we are still, you know, it's this has been talked about, you know, a number of times, and I I'm well aware that we need to, we have not as a country looked at the strategic petroleum reserve, and what you know, what should it actually be, what should it actually uh, be used for, if anything, outside of what the IEA um, demands. There's no question that our needs from the strategic petroleum reserve are very different than they were when they when it was first uh, created. Uh, but also, this is this is something that is not, in my mind, uh, and and certainly IEA's mind, it's not just for the U.S. This is also for you know this is about global, uh, global stability and understanding how 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 should this be used, um, and I think that conversation is just lacking, uh, and unfortunately, I, I I doubt it's probably going to come up uh, in the sort of robust manner where you need to kind of come up and mathematically figure out this is what we need to do and this is this is in terms of how much we need to have but if you look at just the official numbers from the IA we could you could drain a whole bunch of it mm-hmm. um, and still and still have uh, have plenty there but uh, I'm not uh, as an oil market analyst not not uh, not in favor of, of just draining that just you know just for a little bit of cash uh, for the for the US coffers did now did you see um, so the the previously announced release mm-hmm. that they Timed for October, November. Did yeah. you see any effect um, from that price-wise? Uh, I, I, not, not, not anything that I would call as you know as like, oh, okay, this was it. It was one of these things where it it, it was it was minor, you know, in in the noise is what I would uh, what I would call it. And to me, those sorts of things are useful. You want to make sure that you can that you can you know a te- you know test releases or things like that are very useful to test the system. You know, the the Obama administration you know uh, did that, uh, and it, th- those are useful exercises. But mm-hmm. I don't think it had. If you really wanted to impact the price, it would be a we're going to release you know X amount every day for the next six months and right. and, and make this thing and make this thing happen. Um, and so two uh, two last questions on sort of longer term, not you know not forty years, but maybe you know raising the aperture just a little bit or widening it for about a year or so. One, um, uh, OPEC and politics. Uh, is always a really interesting question. It is becoming more and more interesting by the day for some uh, somewhat sort of signaling reasons. You know, you've got the president sort of tweeting to OPEC and OPEC having to sort of respond in a very sort of, you know, public way about their responses to what Mm -hmm. the president of the United States wants or doesn't want. And that was typically a conversation to happen behind closed doors. And then the other more serious stuff is, you know, you know, potential serious rifts between the United States and Saudi Arabia from a broader sort of foreign policy perspective. Um, 
because of uh, the fallout of the sort of missing questions about uh, Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post uh, columnist. What do you see in terms of, and we, that's a, just a much larger conversation, but what do you see in terms of impact on oil market discussions to date for that, Megan? And then I'll turn to Jamie for something else. Sure. Um, so this this story of the of, of Jamal Khashoggi has been huge for dip- diplomatic relations between the Saudis and the U.S., but so far it hasn't been a, a big story for the oil market, um, at least price-wise. Um, pr- prices rose initially after um, the president made some remarks that there would be serious consequences if Saudi Arabia was found to have been responsible, and then Riyadh kind of came back over the weekend with, you know, they're going to issue greater action to any sanctions or political pressure. Um, that, that got everyone talking for a couple of days. Things simmer down. Um, so, you know, at, at this point, at least, the oil, oil analysts have not really kind of priced that in as far as a new source of geopolitical risk for the oil market. Um, as far as what we're watching with that, um, there's a potential for the Senate to um, propose Magnitsky Act sanctions, which could target individuals that were found to be responsible. Um, several senators have spoken about the need for sanctions, uh, Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio. But of course, the White House has 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 not shown any um, any interest in that. Um, and you know, it, this this conflict comes out at a very you know awkward time as the U.S. is relying on the Saudis to increase production ahead of the Iran sanctions and um, really pressing on both Saudi Arabia and Russia to to bring down prices a little bit. Jamie, um, on your end, uh, the other sort of big factor out there, as we talked about a little bit earlier, is just the worry about drag on demand and GDP, right? And so the IMF has come out saying that the threats out there uh, still exist. Uh, and then we've got all these sort of trade wars being prosecuted to different end. We don't really know where they're going to end up. What are you thinking about in terms of the um, the other sort of, you know, e- economic impacts uh, that you're looking at over the next, say, like year or so that, that you're continuing to watch? Yeah. So obviously looking at uh, what, you know, what the pace of growth is happening uh, and also recognizing that the, as I mentioned before, the shock absorbers that the financial system has is, is much, much less. Uh, but the big risk that you're seeing out there is obviously higher oil prices. That impacts lots of different communities in lots of lots of different ways. Uh, tra- the trade wars uh, that are ongoing are, and, and this is something we've actually looked at this, which is that this is not often the view is that this is kind of a U.S. driven sort of thing. This is actually, we've looked at um, effectively, you know, kind of protectionist measures that have been taken by different countries over the last several years. And it's like, we're talking dozens of countries, and it is having a slowdown in effect in terms of what that means for trade, which then impacts um, global GDP. So those are the sorts of things that we're that we're looking at. Uh, you've got interest rates that are rising, which hopefully will then. I think I think there was a clever comment that basically, oh, they're going to rise so that they can then come down when they when they over tighten them too much. <laughs> um, so that gives a little bit of a, of a of a shock. But these are all things where it's like, and the other thing is you're looking at. This has been just an enormously, just hugely long period of economic expansion, certainly in this country and many other uh, countries. I'm reminded that uh, I think at the end of last year, beginning of this year, uh, the IMF, uh, the World Bank, only expected three countries uh, to have a recession this year, and that was uh, Venezuela, Syria, and Vanuatu. Now, I know a lot about the first two. The last one, I have no idea. But um, but since then, they've actually been proven wrong. South Africa is in is in recession. Uh, so there are little little bits that are, that we're looking at where it's like this is this is looking like 
things could start to slow down. I don't see this as being something where it's going to be like, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009, when global oil demand actually shrank by, you know, one and a half, two million barrels a day. Um, but you could see it where it could, you know, go down to 800, 700,000 barrels a day unless you had a really uh, significant kind of trigger, uh, trigger event. Well, guys, thank you very much. It's a multifaceted uh, area of analysis. I think that's why so many of us in, engage in it. Um, we'll keep watching it for sure, but I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Uh, again, I'm Sarah Ladislaw with CSIS Energy and National Security Program, and thanks for listening to Energy 360.